Lord, thank you so much for another Sunday to spend this time with you. God, we're grateful that you brought us here, and we're grateful that you've given us this day, Lord, a, a breath in our, our, our life to come and worship you, to seek you. We thank you so much, Lord. And God, as we come before you, I pray you open our eyes, Lord, to your sovereign power and the help that you give us, Lord, through your workings throughout this world, throughout our lives, Lord. And God, I thank you that you even take the bad, even the good, of course, and you turn it all into something that fulfills your purpose and your plan, and it all glorifies you. So Lord, help us to see that. Help us to learn that today. Anoint your word, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. I read this story about a pastor who found a a little kitten that was stuck up in a tree. The tree was not very strong or sturdy. It wasn't strong enough to climb, so the pastor decided to tie a rope onto his car, pull the tree down so he could then reach up and get the kitten. Well, his plan seemed to work until the rope broke. The tree snapped upright, and the kitten instantly sailed through the air out of sight. He felt terrible and walked all over the neighborhood looking for the little kitten. But it was gone, so finally he just knelt down and prayed and said, Lord, I commit this kitten into your hands. Now, a few days later, he was at the grocery store and ran into a woman from his church. And in her shopping cart, what he was amazed to see was cat food. Everyone knew she hated cats, so he had to ask her about the cat food. Well, this is how she replied. You won't believe this, Pastor. But I've been refusing to buy my little girl a cat even though she's been begging for one every day. And finally I told her that if God gives you a cat, I'll let you keep it. Then I watched my child go out into the yard, get on her knees, and ask God for a cat. And then the lady goes, really, Pastor, you won't believe this. But I saw it with my own eyes. A kitten suddenly came flying out of the blue sky with his paws spread out and landed right in front of her. Of course, I had to let her keep the kitten because it came from God. (laughs) I love that. How about that for divine providence? I don't know about you, but stories like that certainly make us more aware of God working in His providence in our lives. And, you know, knowing that, it does help us in any of our situations. I like something B.B. Warfield said. He wrote, A firm faith in the universal providence of God is the solution of all earthly troubles. I like that. That's a good word here. Well, as we return to Hebrews, we find more examples of faith from the Old Testament saints. And here in our passage, we see the faith of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And they come to really reveal this faith. It starts, you know what, when they start becoming aware of God's providence. And that's our title for our message this morning, Becoming Aware of God's Providence. We're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 11 from verse 20 through 22. I know Pastor Ron taught us last Sunday, but we're picking up from the Sunday before. We ended at verse 21, but now we're going to pick up three verses this morning, 11, 20 through 22. Now we're going to see three things about these three Old Testament saints, and this is our outline. Number one, Isaac's submission. Number two, Jacob's surrender. And number three is Joseph's standpoint. All right, so let's begin. Number one, Isaac's submission. Isaac's submission. So take a look with me here now. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 20 is really this whole first section. Verse 20 says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Well, we begin here with the words, By faith Isaac. Isaac, which introduces us to, once again, the next Old Testament character that the writer is giving us as an example of the kind of faith that he's been writing, that he's been talking about this whole time. Now, if you're with us, if not, you could grab the CD or hear it online. But this all started 
way up at verse 1, back at verse 1 of this chapter, where the writer defines faith as you can take a look at this, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And you remember we learned substance means like that solid confidence. And evidence here in verse 1 means a strong conviction. So the, the, the definition that I brought out was faith, the faith that's spoken of here really is the unshakable confidence of things hoped for and the unshakable conviction of things not seen. So that's the kind of faith that Isaac had. This is what the writer is saying. This unshakable uh, confidence and conviction, that's what Isaac held on to and that's why he brings up Isaac here and puts him into this list now remember Hebrews chapter 11 is what we call the heroes of the faith or the hall of faith all these Old Testament characters all these stories are about faith and examples to us about having that unshakable kind of faith we saw the faith was seen in verse 4 when Abel honored God with his worship. We saw it in verse 5 when Enoch honored God in his walk. And then remember Noah in verse 7. His faith, we find his faith was seen in his trusting obedience when he built the ark, even when it had never ever rained before. And then last time we were in Hebrews in verses 8 through 19, we saw Abraham kept an eternal perspective even though he never possessed the promised land. He still believed that it was for his descendants. Well, now the writer goes on here in the verses we're going to see. The writer talks, on, talks about Abraham's grandson, uh, or Abraham's son, first of all, Isaac, Abraham's grandson, J Jacob, and Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph. So these three, they too believed in the promise, even though they never possessed the land, like, just like Abraham. Well, let me tell you, it all came together for them when they became aware of the providence of God working in their lives. And that's what we're going to see here. So, back to verse 28. So we begin with Isaac now, whose faith was seen when he blessed, it says here, Jacob and Esau. Now, these two were, were his two boys right? Isaac's two boys, uh, Jacob and Isaac, and they were born to his wife, Rebecca, uh, after she was barren for like 20 years. So they even had their little trial in, in uh, believing in God that, that, hey, that there'll be a nation come out of them. Well, finally, God answered Isaac's prayers, and they had not just one baby, but they had twins here. So here the writer says that Isaac Blessed, meaning he pronounced this customary blessing of birthright before he passed on, before he died. It was a way to like pass on the inheritance from father to the firstborn son and prophetically pray over them. Now, what's interesting here in verse 20 is the writer says that Isaac blessed his two boys. And look, it says concerning things to come. In other words, when he gave the blessing, he spoke about their future. And many times that's what we see in the Bible, as I mentioned. So when Isaac blessed Jacob now, it was all about Jacob being the one whom the nation will come out of, how Jacob would be the head of the family of the Israeli line, and, he, and, and God would fulfill his promise through Jacob. That was that blessing. That was what he spoke about concerning things to come. Well, with Esau, that was different. Uh, it, Isaac prophesied that Esau's descendants would not live in the promised land. They would be under like the rule of Jacob and be in constant conflict with Jacob and his family. Not so much a blessing, but it still was this prophetic word. It still mentioned that, well, maybe they're not in the promised land, but it still mentioned, hey, if things are going to be happening like that. So the idea is with these blessings, Isaac showed faith in what God said that Jacob will come, uh, that through Jacob will come a nation, that they'll dwell in that promised land. So well, without that even happening without him even seeing it Isaac believed and blessed Jacob in the way in that way and so that's the basic idea but there's more to the story here Isaac did not always feel that way about Jacob but God's providence changed Isaac 
and how he saw things. And that's how he came. That's how Isaac came to have an unshakable faith. And that is when Isaac accepted God's will, laid down his will, and said, okay, Jacob is the one. Now, I want you to see this. I want you to see this unfold. Uh, Turn over to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. We're going to look at verses 22 and 23 there. Genesis 25. Now, while you're turning there, uh, in this passage here, Rebecca feels like something's going on with her pregnancy. Something's not, not right. So she prays and she finds out that she has twins. That there's going to be two boys uh, be, that, that's going to be birthed here. So if you look at Genesis 25, verse 22, it says, But the children struggled together within her. And she said, If all is well, why am I like this? Like, what's going on here? Something's going wrong. So she went to inquire of the Lord. Verse 23, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And look, the older shall serve the younger. So even before the twins, the boys were born, God already had a plan. God already destined what was going to happen with these boys. And these boys, they're going to create, they're come out of them is going to have two nations. So God already destined, really, who would be the father of the nation of Israel. Now, we know the story. Esau was the first twin to be born. And then the second one, which is the younger, that would be Jacob, came out right after Esau. Now, normally, according to the custom, Esau, the firstborn, would receive that blessing of the firstborn, the right of inheritance to be the head of the family. But before they were even born, God already destined Jacob, the younger one, to be blessed with the right of the firstborn and be head over the family. Now, this is what God had told Rebecca, and I'm sure Rebecca told Isaac. So Isaac, the father, he knew this, but he didn't like it. He favored Esau. Rebecca favored Jacob. He wanted Esau to be the one. And you know what? He did everything he could to force the issue. So when it came time, actually, for Isaac to, to give that blessing, you know, to uh, the, the firstborn right and all, he didn't want to do that. Now, turn over to Genesis 27, a couple chapters over, and he, here we find this, this incident here, and we're, and we're just going to look at a few things. But here in this chapter, we find Isaac is 137 years old. He's blind. He's feeling like, well, I'm going to die soon, and, you know, I, I, I need to take care of this blessing thing. He actually lived on for another 43 years. Uh, but he felt like at that moment, I got to do this blessing thing. So he called over Esau, and he asked him, hey, go hunting for me, and, you know, uh, catch my favorite game and make my favorite meal here. So look in verse 4. This is what he tells him. Verse 4 of chapter 27. He says, And make savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So you know what he's talking about. I want to bless you with that firstborn right. I want to make you the head guy. I want my, you know, all that God promised is going to go through you. Everything that, you know, my lineage, everything's going to pass through you. You're going to be the one. Now, the mom, Rebecca, heard this, so she put together a plan to fool Isaac into giving Jacob this firstborn blessing. She, she got Jacob to get a goat. She took the goat, made the meal. She dressed Jacob in Esau's clothes so he smelled like Esau. He put the skin of the goat on Jacob's hands and neck because Esau was the hairy guy. That's what he means. He's hairy, right? And Jacob wasn't. So Jacob, going along with, with the mom's plan, goes into the father now. And he goes to the father and goes, Father, or maybe he went, <clears throat> Father, here's your food. Come sit and eat. Well, Isaac, he's blind, and, and he's a little suspicious, and, he, and he's like, is that, is that you, Esau? It, it doesn't sound like you. Oh, I got a cold, you know, <clears throat> but it's me. Here's your food. And then he's like, come over here, come over here. And he's a little suspicious, but he feels his hand. Well, you're hairy like Esau. Feels his neck, you know. Oh, oh yeah, you're, you're hairy like Esau. Oh, you, you smell like Esau as he smells his clothes there. Well, it sounds like Jacob, but Esau... You know, feels it and goes, well, okay, it must be Esau. So he accepts the food and he eats it. And after eating, 
then Isaac blesses Jacob unknowingly. So Jacob actually gets this blessing of the firstborn. He got that right, uh, firstborn right, a blessing, inheritance, everything. that His family's going to be the line that goes on. Well, Jacob leaves, and as soon as Jacob leaves, you know what happens? Esau comes in now. And he comes in and says, Father, here's your food. Here, I prepared it for you. Here, give me the blessing. Isaac's like, wait, wait, who are you? He's like, this is Esau, your firstborn. And with that, Isaac suddenly realized what had happened. Now look over down to verse 33. Verse 33. Verse 33, Genesis 27, it says, Then Isaac trembled exceedingly. That was the moment he realized what had happened, that he had blessed Jacob, the younger one, and not the older one. He realized what had happened. He knew he was tricked, but it was at that moment, you know what? He realized what God had destined to be had come to pass. He knew what the Lord had told Rebekah all the way when they were still in the womb. He knew what God's plan was, but he bucked it. He went against it. He forced it. He wanted Esau to be the one. He knew what God had said, but at this moment, he realized what God had destined came to pass. Now understand something here. It doesn't mean that deception is okay. It doesn't mean that you can go trick, you know, people and get God's will done. No, the end never justifies the means. But focus in on this. What Isaac sees is favoring Esau, trying to give him the blessing, was going against what God wanted. And in the end, even though he tried to do all this, even with the wrong actions of Rebekah and Jacob, God's providence came to pass. It came to play. And he could not stop that. That's why Isaac trembled. He was humbled at that moment. And he realized that God will fulfill his word, his purpose, his sovereignty, his destiny, and, it, and he cannot do anything about it. And it's not Isaac who can do anything. That was the moment now, right here you see in verse 33 in Genesis 27, that Isaac finally accepted God's plan as he trembled. And then that is how by faith Isaac kept the firstborn blessing for Jacob. He didn't go back, wait, wait, no, I'm going to take it back and give it to Esau. No, he realized at that moment what had happened. He realized what God had done. And so by faith now, believing in God and His providence and His plan, what God had planned for Jacob and his family and the promised land, that it was Jacob at that moment, he didn't change a thing. He didn't change a thing. Matter of fact, Esau's like, wait, 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 wait. Oh, no, I was tricked. You know, uh, Isaac is saying, but Esau's, no, no, give me a blessing. He goes, okay, I'll, I'll give you a blessing. You know what? You're going to be under your brother. You're going you're gonna to be out and, and in the field. You're, you're, you're not going to be the one, basically. So Jacob didn't go backwards on his blessing, but by faith, Jacob kept the blessing on Jacob, believing now that Jacob was the one who will birth the nation and live in that land of promise. So this is the unshakable faith that Isaac came to it came to him as he was becoming aware of God's promise of his providence we see Isaac's stubbornness turned to submission and this is why I titled this head the heading here is Isaac's submission which is really also the point here in how faith is seen when Isaac accepted Jacob's destiny and submitted to God's providential plan that's what we're seeing here that's why he's in this list Isaac accepted Jacob's destiny and submitted to God's providential plan we know God is sovereign right he's in control he has the power even to take like something bad done by someone and turn it into accomplishing his purposes that that's how miraculous God can be that's how powerful he is that's how sovereign and how he orchestrates things and we understand that right because in romans 8 28 which is my life verse it says and we know that all things work together for good to those who love god and to those who are called according to his purpose it says 
all things, not only the things that work out or the good things, but even the bad things. That's God's sovereign power. And here, Isaac saw this all unfold. That's why he trembled. And Isaac accepted Jacob's destiny and submitted to God's providential plan. You know, last week, um, as you know, uh, or the other week, a couple weeks ago, we held that outreach concert with the uh, Sons of Yeshua and the the band um, stayed on Maui. They came from Oahu, did an outreach on Friday night, and they stayed on Maui till Sunday to worship with us, and they led us in worship a couple weeks ago. Well, we, re- we reserved a couple of condos for them to stay in. Well, when the mom, Kanani, called to see if they, they could check in early before you know, the outreach concert, uh, they told her that, oh, we're all booked up. And we're like, huh? So then Jared tried calling uh, the guy on the phone, and the guy on the phone said, oh, there's been a flood. There's no place to stay. Now, we felt like we were getting this runaround. We had made reservations, you know, months and months ago, right? We had given, you know, the credit card and everything. And it was, it, it, it was upsetting. Like, wait, whoa, whoa, what's going on? We have nine guys, and all of a sudden, no place to stay? And so uh, Jared called um, Hotels.com, where we had made the reservation. And the lady on the phone tried to resolve things. She was real nice. She called the place, and then she came back online saying, well, they said they had a problem with your credit card. And we're like, that's not right. We just used it. You know, we bought them lunch and everything. And so it just seemed like the lies were just going on and on. Well, we were able to cancel the reservation without any, any fees. And you know what? We just accepted it was God's will and submitted to his providential plan and the band ended up staying at our house. I was calling Kristen, hey, we get nine guys coming. I think we'll put so-and-so here and so-and-so there. And she was just scrambling, oh, do we have enough sheets and blankets and pillows and everything like that? But praise the Lord, it all worked out. And you know what? In the end, we are all saying this, the band and ourselves, that we like this better. You know, we were able to fellowship more, get to know one another better. It, it turned out to be a blessing, actually. So we accepted, well, it wasn't a, a great situation, but we submitted to God's providence here, and it worked out better. Perhaps you find yourself in a situation right now, and, and it isn't working out like you hope. What you expected has been made worse by some actions of another. Well, you know what true faith is? It's to believe that even in the worst of circumstances, God is still on the throne. Amen? God is sovereign. He's still in control of that situation, and that will not stop what He wants to accomplish. That's God's providence, that He's going to work things out to His glory. And you know what? We need to do what Isaac did. We need to, listen, accept the situation yeah accept what it is stop fighting it stop stop grieving over but just accept that situation submit to well this must be some god's god's sovereign or overall plan right accept the situation submit to god's plan and then trust in god's providence that he's going to work work it out and we trust with an unshakable faith and that's why isaac's in this list. William White once said, God is not defeated by human failure. I love that. It speaks to me because I think about, oh God, thank you. You're not defeated by my failure, even that. So let us start becoming aware of God's providence. All right, let's go on to number two here, Jacob's surrender. Jacob's surrender. We've seen uh, J- Isaac's submission and now Jacob's surrender. Hebrews chapter 11, go back there now. We come to verse 21, Hebrews 11. Verse 21 says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on top of his staff. Now, next here, the writer says, It was by faith, Jacob, now, that unshakable faith, when he was dying, he was on his deathbed, that Jacob blessed each of the sons of Joseph. Manasseh and Ephraim are the two sons. Now, again, like Isaac, you know, he thought he was going to die, but he gave his blessing. So here's Jacob. He was dying. So he's going to give his blessing this firstborn right of inheritance. Now, Genesis 48 tells us that Jacob, when he did that to these two boys of Joseph, he switched his hands. 
He, he put his, his right hand on the younger son and on Ephraim and he's put his left hand on the older son, you know, kind of maybe like, you know, his dad did, Isaac, right? And he switched it and Joseph's like, wait, wait, that's not right. He goes, no, this is what the Lord wants. This is what, how it's going to be. And it gave now the firstborn status to Ephraim, the younger one, which actually prophetically came true. He became the stronger tribe above Manasseh. But let me tell you, even though that happened, the significance of what the writer is saying of this blessing wasn't how Joseph had laid his hands now. What it is, is in this action, Jacob basically took his grandsons now and adopted them as his own sons. Now think about this. Now, it, it probably should have been, if anyone, Joseph that uh, Jacob put his hand on. Joseph was his son. Now, Jacob had 12 sons, right? The 12 tribes of Israel. Reuben was the oldest, but he did some things that wasn't good and it wasn't in God's plan. And Joseph was really second to the youngest, but it should have been Joseph, one of his own sons. But the Lord had him do something incredible here that he took his grandsons, uh, laid hands and gave blessings and basically made them his own sons. So that why? That they would become heads of tribes that would possess a portion, property in the promised land. That's what's amazing here. So the idea is by faith, Jacob blessed these, these two sons, believing that they would become two of the major tribes in Israel. That's crazy. That is crazy. In a sense, you could think Joseph, who should have got maybe this blessing, uh, he got a double portion, double the land really, when his two sons ended up possessing two of the properties in the promised land. Now take note, you, may, you might be asking, wait, 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 that makes like 13 tribes then, right? Right now there's 12 sons of Jacob, take away Joseph, and then, uh, and then there's 11 tribes, add, add his two sons, and then Joseph's part of the two sons, and there's 13 well, wasn't there 12, you know, tribes, 12 tribes that, you know, got land in the promised land? Yeah, there was. But the tribe of Levi became the Levites, right, who were the priests, and they didn't get any of the land because they belonged to the Lord. Their land was like the Lord. So 12 tribes were allowed to have 12 portions in the land. Okay, so we see Jacob's unshakable faith, that's why he sees here, by giving this blessing to Joseph's two sons, believing. Now, Joseph's two sons, by the Lord's plan, will become heads of tribes and they will possess land in the promised land. Remember, none of this has happened, right, for like almost 500 years. It won't happen for like 500 years. But here's the question. How did Jacob get to this place of such trust in God? How is that? Many of us know his story when we study Genesis. We, he, he's, he was originally not that kind of a guy. He was this conniver, manipulator, you know. He, he wasn't that godly. But how did he get in here by this kind of faith, doing this kind of faith? Well, look at Hebrews 11 again. Look at verse 21. After by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. Well, at the end of the verse, it first says, and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. It says, and worship. Notice first the writer says that Jacob blessed the boys and worshiped. That means Jacob truly worshiped God. He praised God. He bowed down to him. He gave God glory. So the idea is Jacob acknowledged God had been provid providentially watching over him all his life, that he worshiped him, that God it is God. And I say this because listen to how Jacob begins this blessing that he, that he gave the Ephraim and Manasseh over in Genesis 48, 15. It says, God, this is how he prayed when he started the blessing. He said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who fed me all my life long to this day. When, when, when uh, Jacob prays, God, you fed me. You know, he means, uh, the word really there means shepherd. You took care of me. You watched over me. You were sovereign over me. Now, now Jacob is saying this in this prayer as he blesses the boys. And then in verse 16, he mentions the angel God um, or, or the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. And he goes on into the blessing in verse 16 of Genesis 48. Now, this angel is a manifestation of God, and we're going to see that in a moment. But he says, who has redeemed me? That's the first time the, in the Bible the word redeem is used, and it's used for God as a deliverer, as a savior. 
So Jacob is talking like this, how you can almost hear his heart. I mean, feel it. You know, you can almost feel how he's saying, oh, God. God, you're, you're my God. You're my shepherd. You're the one who watched over me. You were sovereign over me. You're my redeemer. You delivered me. You're my savior. Now understand, that's not the way he talked or prayed before. Even in the earlier chapter, he was talking to Pharaoh and he said, oh, my life has been so hard. It's been so short, you know. This is a whole different tone and all that's coming out. You know what? He's worshiping the Lord here. And so it's interesting, the writer puts, and worship. Well, he, the writer saw this back in Genesis 48. And by the way, you know what? That's what happens when you really see God's providence in your life. You know what you do? You fall down and worship. So you can see, by, you, you can see his faith by his acknowledging God's providence. You know, we see that leaking out in his blessing as he worshiped God. But he wasn't always like that, as I mentioned. What changed him? What happened? Well, take a look at Hebrews eleven twenty one again. At the end, he says, and worship. And the writer says, leaning on the top of his staff. Now, the Holy Spirit, had the writer put this here specifically to, to give us a clue now of how he got this way because he wasn't like that before. It gives us a clue how Jacob became so aware of God's providence that he became to worship, became a different man. Now, leaning on his staff means what? He needed help, right? He needed help. He had to lean on something. He couldn't stand on his own. He couldn't walk on his own. Why is that? Well, because of his physical disability. And because of that, he had to have a staff. But there was more to that. He came to a place of dependence and surrender to the Lord. So the idea is this, Jacob's staff was a symbol of his total dependence on God. And this takes us back to this turning point of his life. Turn over to uh, Genesis chapter 32. We're uh, going to hop back there again. Genesis 32. Genesis 32 now. And we're going to look at a few verses here from verse 24 through 29. This is the turning point of Jacob's life. Now, as you're turning there, let me explain. As we come into these verses, Jacob had received news that Esau was coming to meet him. And think about this. It has been 20 years since he deceived his dad and got the birthright. And the last thing he heard his brother say is, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you for what you did. And so Rebekah helped him escape. And he hadn't seen Esau for 20 years now. 30 years, God worked, worked through him. He got married. He got a family. The whole thing, it grew. So... All of a sudden now, he gets where Jacob is coming. He knows where you are. He's coming for you. There. He's coming with his guys. And that's all he knows. So, the, so he is in fear of his life right now. And this, was, this came, we're going to see, the darkest moment in his life here in verse 24. And by the way, uh, it says earlier here that he was by this area, by this brook. It was called Jabbok, which means emptying. I think that's significant here. So verse 24, Genesis 32. Verse 24, it says here now, Then Jacob was left alone. Uh, he, he got there by himself. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, during this night, Jacob was crying out to the Lord. And then a man, notice it's capital M in the New King James, appeared and started wrestling with Jacob all night. Now, this is one of the strangest stories in the Bible. But what we believe is this is an Old Testament appearance of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. It's called the Theophany or Christophany, where Jesus comes, appears as a man, and he starts, like, wrestling. Can you, can you picture this? Here's Jacob, here's Jesus. You know, they're, like, rolling around on the ground. Dust is flying all over the air. The, the, the air. But the, word, the idea is Jacob struggled with God here. And why is that? What's over what? Well, all his life, Jacob has schemed and manipulated. His name, Jacob, actually means heel catcher or deceiver. So he was all into that. He can manipulate things. He can deceive people. He, he was always like, 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 you know, working things into his own ways and what he wanted to get done. All his life, he relied on his, his ideas, his schemes. And all his life, he tried to solve things his own way. 
But you know what? God had been working in his life. Little by little, God was breaking down his schemes, his manipulations with different circumstances, you know, how he got his wife or wives and all these different issues and everything. And God in his providence was using these problems and issues to break him of this. And now he comes to this, the darkest night of his life. He's in fear of Esau of his own life. Now, verse uh, 25, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled him. So this is, um, this is the, the Lord. This is this man. This is this angel that I read earlier. So when God saw Jacob's stubborn determination to continue to do things his own way, God touches his hip, it went out of joint, and God basically disabled Jacob. So remember back in Hebrews 11, he has that staff, he's leaning, that's why. It's a symbol of what happened this evening. And Jacob, at that moment, finally came to the end of doing things in his own strength. And then Jacob learned there was only one thing he could do, and that is to cling to God. And that's why, look at verse 26. And he said, this is God, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, this is Jacob, but I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, it's not that Jacob overpowered God, but Jacob was now a new person. And he knew the only way, Jacob, he, the only way he could make it through the situation with Esau was to cling on to God. And isn't that beautiful? We need to cling on to God in our situation. We need to receive his help, his strength. And so, you see, Jacob is different now. You could say he, he went from restlessness to rest. He went from cunning to clinging here. Then verse 27. So he, that's God, said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Now, it wasn't that God didn't know his name, all right? Don't think that right here. Of course, God knows all of our names, right? But God asked Jacob, you know why? Because he wanted a confession out of Jacob, right? Uh, When Jacob answered, yes, I'm Jacob, right? In a sense, he's saying, yeah, I'm Jacob. I'm the deceiver. That's what my name means. I'm the manipulator. I've been doing that. I'm the schemer. I've been doing this all my life. Yes, and he's confessing to the Lord. And this is what God was prompting him to do. Then look at verse 28. And he, this is God, said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. I love this. Jacob's name is no longer deceiver, but God gives him the name Israel. And that's how Israel became to be Israel. Jacob fathered, you know, the, the sons of Israel who became the tribes of Israel, and now the nation of Israel. That's how it came to be when Jacob surrendered to God. Israel literally means struggles with God, but later it became to mean ruled by God. So no longer was Jacob trying to get his will done, trying to get what he wanted done. But now Jacob finally fully surrendered to the Lord. Verse 29, Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So God asked, Why you ask my name? You know who I am, right? I'm your sovereign God. I'm the one who's been watching you. I'm the one, like he prayed years later when he was about to die over the sons. I'm your shepherd that watched over your life, your whole life. I have worked now through my providence. And even in this situation, my providence has brought you to depend upon me. And then God blessed him. He blessed him with, I believe, peace that he's going to be okay. I believe God blessed him with strength to face Esau. I believe that Jacob at that moment, he knew that he would not die before Esau, but he would go on to live and fulfill all that God has for him and his family and the promised land in the future. So you see, Jacob finally became aware of God's presence in his life. And then he had this unshakable faith knowing that he was part of the promise of the lives of his sons and Joseph's sons and on and on until Israel, his people, goes into the promised land and possess it. That all came through Jacob's surrender. That's our heading, which is also the point here. Faith is seen 
when Jacob placed his dependence on God and surrendered to his providence. Do you see that here? Jacob placed his dependence on God and surrendered to his providence. A.W. Tozer wrote, The Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered him. What a good word, yeah. What a good word. Jacob finally came to this place of surrender and the total dependence on God. And that's what changed him. This was his turning point. That's why he could worship when he blessed the sons. That's why he leaned upon the staff. It was all that place where he came aware of the providence of God. Jacob was not able to find blessings of peace and strength until he had fully surrendered to God, trusted God, and seen God's providence in all of this. And you know, that's the same for you and me. We cannot walk a life of faith until we stop wrestling with God. We stop fighting Him on what we think, what needs to be done, what we can accomplish, all of that. We need to be broken before Him and trust in His providence. Trust that His loving and this loving and caring God of ours, our shepherd who's looking out for us, he's going to take care of things, that he has this plan. And that's unshakable faith, you guys. I want you to notice something here. Both Isaac and Jacob, they, they weren't perfect, were they? They didn't really have this kind of faith. It was till later, right? They, when they became aware of God's providence, that's when they got that unshakable faith. And you know what? That encourages me because... You know, despite my sin and failures like them, I can have faith like that. I can be, be counted as someone who has faith. And you know, it all comes when we begin to be aware of God's providence. And let me add this. It, it's this idea that God is intimately involved in our lives. God, uh, 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 Jacob, right? prayed and realized God has been a shepherd in his life, watching over him. He'd been involved in his life all along. It wasn't nothing. Where Jacob, all, everything that Jacob did and accomplished, it wasn't him. It wasn't his scheming. It was God. It was God's providence. God is, is intimately involved in our lives, and we got to understand that as we think about God's providence. In, uh, back in 2015, there, I saw this article uh, it posted 12 of the best pictures from the Hubble Space Telescope that's orbiting the Earth. I thought it was interesting because the article's headline said this, Glimpse of God? Question mark. So they, you know, published these pictures, this incredible, colorful pictures, and it was kind of like, whoa, is, is that what God is like? One image taken from the Space Telescope is of, a, of space dust. It's from Galaxy NG 1316, which is estimated as 75 million light years from Earth. And, and the picture uh, looks like this bearded man. And you know, they started to say, oh, that's the face of God. That's what they started saying that. NASA's a nuclear spectroscopic telescope I saw this too. It took a picture of a neutron star about 17,000 light years away, and it looked like this hand. And it, it was, it was kind of, whoa, what is that? And, and you know what, what they titled that picture? The Hand of God. Many online were even saying, hey, maybe that's the location of heaven. Interesting. Now, we, we know, right? We, I mean, some believe, oh, God, you know, there's God out there. But we understand, you know, there's the realm of heaven and all that, you know, everything like that. But let me tell you this. Some believe that God is like that, that he's somewhere way out there in space, in the vastness of the universe. And they believe, yeah, God created the universe. But as this cosmic clockmaker, God created the mechanics of the universe, wound it up and let it go. And now he's out there just watching it work. That kind of thinking really is the thinking of what uh, uh, people are called deists. They, they believe in God, that he created everything, but then he's not involved in the world and people's lives. That, you know, he just watches from afar. But we know different. We know different because the Bible says different. Colossians 1.17 that says that the Lord Jesus is, is that in all, with Jesus all things consist. In other words, he holds everything together. So think about that. Every atom and molecule, every element of creation exists because God 
is willing it to exist. He's holding it together. God is then ultimately involved, if he's involved that way in creation, he's involved in our lives. So if you believe God sustains, maintains, and orders the whole universe, then you must believe that he is intimately involved in your life. Then you know what? We've got to depend on him, right? Then you know what? We've got to find comfort in his providence, that his work in our life. And that's Jacob. Jacob came to that place that he, would, he knew he would not die in, in the hands of Esau because God has a plan for him. That in his providence, he has a plan and purpose for the children of Israel, for his, the nation, for his family. And so Joseph blessed the two sons of Joseph, knowing that they, uh, Jacob blessed the two sons of Joseph, knowing that they would become a tribe and possess the land. And that's how he came to have this unshakable faith. I don't know about you, but I want that too. I want that too. And it was all by becoming aware of God's providence. All right, one more heading here, number three, Joseph's standpoint. And we'll go through this quickly. We saw Isaac's submission, Jake's, Jacob's surrender, and now Joseph's standpoint. Hebrews, back to Hebrews 11, look at verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Okay, our last verse here. Lastly, today we come to the example of Jacob, who by faith, when he was about to die, he talked about the departure of, uh, the, departure of the children of Israel. Now, what's that? Well, remember at that time when Joseph was about to die, the Jewish people were living in Egypt. They were not slaves under the bondage of Egypt yet. The whole Moses thing hasn't happened. This is way early on, and next time we're going to be talking about that. So Joseph had faith to see Egypt was not forever. God would bring them home one day to the promised land. So he requested uh, in, in Genesis 50, really, concerning his bones, not to bury them in Egypt, but to put him, take his bones, they're going to be put in a coffin, and then bring, brought into the promised land. He did not want his remains to be left in Egypt, but to be buried in the promised land. And you know what? That's what happened. About 400 years later, when, after Moses left Egypt, uh, and then they finally went, they, they took his bones, and they finally went into the promised land with Joshua. And Joshua 24, 32 says that Joseph's bones was buried in Shechem, which is a city of the tribe of Manasseh, which is his son, right? So that happened. So the idea here in this verse is Joseph took the promises, handed to him, right? Well, this is what uh, a great-grandpa said, and, and grandpa and his dad said, and everything. And he believed it enough to order burial instructions. His faith saw that somehow, in some way, eventually Israel will be leaving Egypt and they will be in the promised land. Genesis 50, 24, Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So Jacob knew God would work providentially with Israel. He already was aware of God's providential hand, and so that's what he believed. That's his unshakable faith here. Now, understand, Joseph had been through much, and he's seen God work providentially in his life uh, throughout his whole life, really. And, and I believe that this is where it's rooted in. And, and we know his story. I just want to mention this real quick. You know, when he was young, he had a dream, right? that his brothers and even his parents would bow to him. And, and he wasn't very smart because he told the whole family, yeah, you guys are going to bow to me. That's what was my dream. Well, his brothers got angry. They, they kidnapped him. They threatened to kill him, but then they sold him into slavery. What, you know, what kind of life is that, right? As a, as a boy, as a teenager, right? Well, he ended up as a servant to a high-ranking Egyptian named Potiphar. But later, he was falsely accused of rape by, rape by Potiphar's wife after he refused her advances. He ended up in prison. Oh, thank you, God, right, kind of thing. Then in prison, he was forgotten by the cupbearer after interpreting his dream. But then Pharaoh had a dream. He was all troubled. The cupbearer, remember, Joseph had interpreted a dream, and it came true. And so then Joseph was called before Pharaoh to interpret the troubling dream. Well, when Joseph interpreted a dream, which, of course, was the Lord giving him this, 
Uh, he told the Pharaoh, well, the dream is about you're going to have a time of plenty, you know, a big harvest and everything. And then after that, a time of famine was coming. So you know what the best thing to do is store up right now, you know, in the time of plenty. And then when the famine comes, we'll, we'll have enough to get through the famine. Well, Pharaoh loved, loved that, loved the idea, loved this idea. So Joseph ended up becoming second in charge to Pharaoh in Egypt. Amazing, right? So Joseph did his job, prepared for the famine, storing the grain and all that. Well, when the famine hit, Egypt was okay. Other countries even came to Egypt for food to survive. And so did the family of Jacob. Now Jacob, the brothers told the father Jacob that, oh, you know, some wild animals had eaten Joseph, he's gone. And so they thought Joseph was gone. Well, they, when they finally all came to Joseph without knowing, they ended up bowing to Joseph, the second in command of Egypt. And it was that dramatic scene, right? Genesis 45, when, when Egyptian-looking Joseph finally revealed himself to his brothers that I'm alive. Then the whole family moved to Egypt. That's how they got there. Now, later, if you remember, Joseph had this insight to God's providential workings in his life he 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 got the short end of the stick he didn't get the good a good life here but in the end he became second in command in egypt this is what he told his brothers in genesis 50 20 but as for you you meant evil against me but god meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive do you understand that Many Egyptians didn't die. Other people in other nations didn't die. And you know what? Israel did not die in the famine. In God's providence, in, throughout Joseph's period of suffering, it actually turned out then so he could be a savior. God could use him to save his own people. His suffering turned into saving others. And so understand now how Joshua could see, I'm sorry, uh, Joseph could see God's providential work in these events. Though he suffered greatly, in the end, God used all that to bring him to a position to save others. And you know, that's like Christ, right? That's like Christ who suffered for us, right? The Messiah who died on the cross, who probably, the disciples going, what's going on when he died on the cross? But Christ suffered to save us. And so here's God's providential plan. This is how Joseph sees the events in his life. He sees God's providence at work. So he sees how the Jewish family, his Jewish family, saved from starvation, which meant nothing was going to stop his family, Israel, from making it to the promised land. So that's why he says, bring my bones when you go into the promised land. So Joseph saw everything handled everything from this perspective. This is Joseph's standpoint. And we got to have that. we got to stand where he stands and see things in God's providence, no matter what we're going through. This also brings us to our final point here. Faith is seen when, from Joseph's standpoint, God's providence is always at work. From Joseph's standpoint, God's providence is always at work. That's our standpoint. That's how we should see things in our life. I was thinking about this. In, uh, nine, in the 1960s, there was a Mossad, an Israeli spy named Eli Cohen, and uh, he went undercover into Syria. He rose up in the ranks there. He actually became a trusted advisor to the Syrian Minister of Defense. Now, there, behind the scenes, Eli helped Israel, you know, he was a spy passing important military and political information and all. But one of the most famous things he did was help Israel capture the Golan Heights. At the time, uh, the Syrians were in control of that strategic hill. And, and uh, while taking a tour of that military, Syrian military outpost at the time, Eli, who was really a civilian, but he was allowed to go up there, he suggested to the generals that, you know what you guys ought to do? You guys ought to plant the quick-growing eucalyptus trees because, you know, it'll give shade to the soldiers who are, are, are on duty there, and it'll ha- also hide, you know, their armament and, and that they're up there. 
Well, the generals and commanders thought, wow, hey, that's a, thanks a lot. You know, that's a great idea. So that's what they did. Well, years later, when the Six-Day War happened, Eli told the Israeli army, hey, if you want to you, target all the Syrian military outposts, just look for the eucalyptus trees. <laughs> they became easy targets there, and Israel took the Golan Heights. It helped win the war there. I was thinking about that. Just as the Mossad had things going on behind the scenes in Syria, Syria back then with Elikon, God is working behind the scenes in your life. He's orchestrating a plan. He's moving pieces, arranging things, orchestrating things in a way, even powerfully using the evil that people do to us. And by the miracle of God, He works His plan. That's God's providential working. So let's see things from that standpoint. And perhaps just this perspective will help you have the unshakable faith. You know, as we close, I have to tell you, for me, the hardest thing is when things don't go the way you expect, right? When from bad choices, you know, or or maybe that other people have made or failures on your own part, or circumstances, right, that happen beyond your control, it's hard to see God in it. When you're suffering, when you're hurting, it's hard. But if we believe in God's sovereignty, if we believe in God's wisdom, if we believe in God's power, if we believe God is holy, and so he has, that he's not going to do us no wrong, if we believe God loves us, then we can have faith and see God do the impossible in our lives. Even when it seems all is lost. I'll close with this. I like the story of this only survivor of a shipwreck who was stranded on a small uninhabited island. He prayed repeatedly for God to save him. and Every day he scanned the horizon for his answer. Well, even though he was in despair, discouraged, he, he managed to build a little hut to keep uh, the weather out, you know, keep him out of the weather and to store some uh, provisions that he could scrounge up. Well, one day, after foraging for food, he came home to find his little hut had caught on fire. It was the worst thing that could have ever happened. Everything he had was destroyed. In his grief, he cried out. He said, God, how can you do this to me? And he fell asleep that night in tears. Well, early the next morning, he was awakened by the sound of a ship that had was approaching the island. When they landed on shore to rescue him, the first thing the castaway asked, how did you know I was here? And the reply, we saw your smoke signal. That's the providence of God. Sometimes the worst things that could ever happen are what brings the best things that could ever happen. So you guys, like Isaac did, like Jacob did, like Joseph did, Let us all also start becoming aware of God's presence. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you, God, I know many of us are in difficult situations, Lord. Some nights it's too much to bear. We want to give up. We want to give in. Lord, we're, we're... tempted so much to be angry at you. God, we wonder why and what's going on and how could a God of love do this or allow this? But Lord, as we read today, help us to, to see God past, Lord, these trials and troubles and heal our hurts, God. Heal our hearts as we look farther with an eternal perspective God, that in your providential plan, you're working something. Even if we can't see it, if we can't understand it, Lord, help us, God, to trust in you and to see that no matter what, you will work your plan, that you aren't this faraway cosmic clockmaker winding things up, letting it go, but you're intimately involved in our lives. And in this place, God, 
Help us to learn our lessons and to grow, God, to become more like you, to have faith, to trust, to, to stand upon your word, Lord. And even in our mistakes and failures, help us to see that you are greater than them. No matter if someone has done us wrong or the sin in our own lives, thank you that grace is greater than all of our sin. Lord, when we get hit the bottom, God, you know what we find? We're like Jacob. There's nowhere else to go. Help us to stop wrestling you, but to cling to you, to find forgiveness and to find hope, peace, and strength as you flood us with your love. And help us to see that the way out of the trial is the way through. And it's your way. It's with you, God. So I pray for anyone here this morning who is really going through it. I pray that right now by your Spirit that you would give them peace. Overflow them with your love. And may they sense your spirit right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together.